chapter 2, reading verses 21 through 38. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I wonder uh, what it is that you're waiting for this Christmas Eve. Waiting has been something of an unintentional theme in our preaching lately at Redeemer here. Uh, it grew out of our study in 1 Thessalonians, where God's people there are identified as those who have turned from their idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. As we went through 1 Thessalonians, we identified waiting as an unavoidable aspect of our lives as believers. And Christmas sharpens that realization. Because as we celebrate the season of Christ's first advent, we are reminded that there is a second. Just as the first Christians waited and wondered about the day that their salvation would be revealed with Christ in the clouds, so too we're still waiting. And that waiting puts us in good company. So we saw this past Sunday that Isaiah promised a day that was coming when the Lord would speak a word of comfort. A day in the future from where Isaiah stood when Jerusalem's warfare would be ended. When her sins would be paid for. 
A day that was coming when the Lord himself would come to shepherd his scattered people. And it was a day that God's people had to wait for. So, it was a day that righteous Simeon, a day that dear devoted Anna were still waiting for some 700 years after it was announced. And in our text in Luke, we're told that they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're told they were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. It was the comfort of God by any other name. It was the good shepherd that Isaiah had promised. And when the Messiah of God entered the Jerusalem temple for the very first time in his earthly life, there were faithful followers of God waiting and longing and hoping for the Lord to do what he had promised. Let that be our first encouragement from the text. That we are in good company when we wait for the Lord. God always has his faithful ones in the world, waiting and praying and longing for him. It may be in many times and in many places that the church looks insignificantly small. Times like the reign of Ahab, we read about in the Old Testament, when Elijah felt as though he alone was left of God's people and no one else was waiting with him. Or times like the first century into which Christ came. When God's message of grace had been so obscured and distorted by by Pharisaic legalism that barely anyone remembered that salvation always works from the top down. Maybe times like now. It seems that Christianity, at least in America, is retreating in the face of advancing armies of pluralism or unbelief. Yet even now, God has his people in the world. Just like he had Simeon, just like he had Anna, they may be quiet. They may be out of sight. They may be obscure in the eyes of the world. Maybe like Anna, they were old. And their backs are bent and their eyes are dim. And sometimes their joints are so stiff that they can hardly get out of bed. But they're there. And you will recognize them by their longing. You'll know them by their prayer and by their devotion. You'll know them by their hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You will know them by their waiting for redemption. Waiting for Isaiah's comfort to come true. But suddenly we find in this text, the spirit whispers an unspoken word into Simeon's heart. Get up. He may have said, we're not given uh, the words or the message. Get up, go into the temple, he's here. The one that you've waited for. The one that I promised, the Christ of God is here. We don't know how it happened. Maybe Joseph and Mary were still making their way through the press of the crowds. Maybe Simeon found them waiting in line with the other parents, waiting to find and to see the priest. Fathers there wrestling lambs and pigeons while mothers bounced fussy babies. But Simeon finds them wherever he found them, and he's drawn to them, and he stops them. Perhaps he awkwardly says to them, Miss, I know you don't know me, but I have to hold your baby." Mary's already learning to expect the unexpected with this child. And so she hands him over and she watches this old man cradle her son close to his chest. Close enough to look into his eyes and to breathe him in and maybe to sprinkle his forehead with tears of joy. 
And as best as he can, Simeon raises his shaking voice above the crowds and he speaks to the Lord first, but also to anybody who's willing to listen. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I can go home, he says. Like a slave waiting at the word of his master released from his labors. The waiting is over. I found in him the one my soul was longing for, the comfort of God, redemption personified. I have seen your salvation, he says. Phil Riken says that Jesus is all that anyone needs to be saved. And once he laid his eyes on him, Simeon was satisfied. He knew that he had all that he needed. Here is the culmination of all the prayers and all the fasting and all the longing and the hunger and the thirsting of all God's people. He hadn't been waiting for some new religious program. He wasn't looking for some five-step process of personal improvement. He wasn't waiting for some impersonal force of cosmic proportions to zap his consciousness with newfound enlightenment. He wasn't waiting for personal prosperity or self-actualization. He was waiting for God's Savior. This little baby who was all his soul needed forever. What's more, Simeon knew that this child in his arms was the one who would satisfy people who did not yet even know they were looking for him. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, he says, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. It's amazing, isn't it, that some 30 years later, Jesus would walk through these same temple precincts together with his disciples. And they would stand with him next to God incarnate. They would stand with him and they would motion at the gold and the marble. They would point out the carved pillars and the pomegranates and the beautiful carvings and the altars made of bronze. And they would say, look, teacher. What wonderful stones. What wonderful buildings. But it was an outward glory that was already fading away. Buildings that from where they stood in 40 years time would be reduced to rubble and smoking ash amidst a conquered nation. But Simeon holds a baby and he says, here is where the glory of the people is to be found. Salvation from the Jews. A light for the nation still walking in darkness. It's amazing, isn't it, that it happened in the temple. That it happened within earshot of the sounds of sacrifice. While priests and and people busied themselves with ritual. While crowds prayed for blessing within the scent of blood and smoke, Simeon holds the Lamb of God in his arms, and he says, here is the one the sacrifices have been pointing to. Here is the salvation of God, bundled in blankets and cradled in his arms. Here's the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense, the revealer of hearts, And the sacrifice for sinners, here is the splendor of God in the Son he has sent. 
So let me ask you again, what is it that you're waiting for this Christmas Eve? Christmas, of course, is a season of anticipation, and the commercializers are counting on it. My father tells a story that my children love to hear about what it was like to grow up in a very small house with six siblings and to hope to be the first one to the tree on Christmas morning. And he tells how his father would stand at the bottom of the stairs and each of the children would be perched on the edge of their beds like sprinters mounted on the starting blocks. Now we forget how much of our shopping spree-inducing nostalgia at Christmas time is, is wrapped up in trying to recapture for ourselves trying to recapture for our children the kind of Christmas morning experience that makes the other 364 days of the year worth waiting through. Then again, we overlook how much of our Christmas longing takes a different form altogether. And so maybe for you, it's another Christmas waiting for a child to come home. Maybe it's another Christmas waiting for a marriage to be mended. Maybe it's another Christmas waiting to be free of pain, free of bitterness, free of addiction to sin, haunted by regret. Maybe it's another Christmas waiting to be free from a loneliness that aches in your soul. I have a friend who's in his 60s, late 60s, and his wife died unexpectedly in their home about six weeks ago. He tells me that he's over the worst of it, but I don't think that he knows far enough to actually say that yet. My friend isn't very religious, but he knows that I am. And he also knows that Christmas is going to be difficult, and so this week when he saw me, he asked me to pray for him. And I'll tell you what I'm praying. Of course I pray for God's comfort, my friend. Of course, I pray for God's strength in a difficult time. Of course, I pray for my friend to know the hope of life in the midst of his loss. But while I'm praying for all those things, and in order to pray for them, what I'm really praying is for my friend to know Jesus, to see him, and to receive him with arms of faith like Simeon did. I pray for my friend to learn to wait for him to find in Jesus the salvation that he doesn't even yet know his soul is looking for. Whatever it is that you're waiting for this Christmas, I want you to know that I'm praying the same for you. And tonight as we close, I want to end with a prayer that I did not write, uh, but it was written by a man named Christopher Ash, And it captures, I think, the longing that God's people should be uh, having and expressing what we should be waiting for this Christmas. Let's pray together. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, may your good spirit place in our hearts today the joyful assurance that you gave to waiting Simeon, that we may know deeply in the midst of a troubled, troubled world that our waiting will not be in vain. Fix our eyes above where Christ is, seated at your right hand, and from where Christ will come in glory to judge the world and save all who are waiting for him in hope. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Our final hymn.